We are continuing our series together with many churches in Pretoria, the 21 Heart Series. And this year, the theme is One Heart, One Heart. We started last week looking at One Heart for God. Today, we're looking at One Heart for God's people. Next week, One Heart for the Lost. And the last Sunday of the month, One Heart for Discipleship. I trust you guys will be able to follow through. If you miss any of them, go to our website and you can catch up over there. Last week, we heard a message on one heart for God. And this is the starting point in our walk with the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, we read the first New Testament church sermon ever preached. It's there. You can go and read it. The people were cut to the heart and they responded. They repented. They turned towards God. And that's what happens when you get cut in your heart, like we heard last week. It kind of hurts. And you've got two choices. You walk away from it, or you walk towards it. When God speaks to you, and it, it hurts a little bit, you can say, ah, and you walk away from it. Or you can say, God, forgive me. And you run towards God. You heard that repent is really a turning around and turning back to God. And that's a process which continues. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you never repent again. Our life is a continuous process as we learn about God. Every time we learn, we change our thinking and we turn towards God. And then if we're walking along and then something happens and maybe we blow up, we say things, we do things we shouldn't say and we go, what have I done? Well, you turn towards God and you repent and you go towards Him and, and you try to make amends. And so is our Christian life. Amen? And, and until today, so they repented, they turned toward God, and until today, as the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit tags at people's hearts. And those who respond and turn to God, they receive forgiveness, they receive eternal life, and it's a choice which every person has to make. I had to make that choice, and you're sitting here, you've had to make that choice. And if you haven't made it yet for any reason, you're going to have to make it. Because there's no middle line. There is no man, there's no such thing as a no man's land in God's kingdom. You're either in it or you're out of it. And we get to choose what to do. God gives us an invitation, but we must respond. When we make the choice to repent, we change our minds and our ways of thinking, and we decide to follow Jesus, it is often a very personal and a very private choice. Nobody sees it. Even I myself, when I, when I made the, the, the final choice, although I was being brought up in church and so on, but I, I was struggling. Like, I had one foot in the church and, and one foot in the world, and I was uncomfortable in both places. Because whenever I was in church, I remember that I got a foot in the world, and I didn't feel very happy over here. When I wasn't in the world, I remembered what I learned in church, and I wasn't very happy either. And so one day I said, enough of this. I'm not going to be here or there. I'm going to jump here and be fully committed to Jesus Christ. And, and I made the decision sitting at the back of a hall after somebody read a scripture in, in Revelation. It said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're warm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Because when that verse was read, the Holy Spirit went like this to me. Thank you. Thank you for catching that. Put it up. Okay. It's like the, I, I had this, this big divine finger pointing at me saying, that is you. You're not hot. You're not cold. And I think you're going to be vomited. Ah. It's in the Bible. I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Okay, I, I'm going to make my decision right here and right now. And, and at the back there, quietly between me and God, I made that decision. I was in high school. I was young. I was surrounded by temptations. I used to be a handsome young man, you know. 
full of energy, South American, you know, <laughs> Latin. And I had to say, God, it stops here. I surrender myself to you. It, it was quiet and private. Nobody knew me. Nobody saw me. I walked in. I walked out. I, I didn't put my hand up. I didn't feel any cards. It was a very personal thing. But as we read last week, as we heard last week, you know, we make the choice. It's a personal and private choice. However, it must be followed by an outward expression of your faith. Water baptism and becoming part of the body of Christ. You don't live your Christian life in isolation. You live it in community. So that day I made my decision quietly at the back of that hall. But within two or three weeks, I was, I was showing publicly. I want to get baptized now. I want to get involved in church. And, and before the end of that year, I, my life had changed. And I was active in the body of Christ. Baptized and, and, and fully expressing my faith. And it has never, ever stopped. It was somewhere around 1975. I know some of you, it's like ancient history, you know, but that's when it happened. And from that year till today, I haven't stopped. I'm still serving the Lord. Different levels, different ways, different, uh, you know, involved, types of involvement. But I became a part of something. And I was serving God, pub, uh, serving God publicly. So that's what today's message is all about. One heart for God's people. We don't live our life in isolation. We don't live our life alone. Just, just, it's me and Jesus, you know, hallelujah. We're such a great team. There is no such thing as you and Jesus and nobody else. It's you and Jesus and the body. We are called to live together as a body. Amen? And that's what today's message is all about. So let us allow the word of God to cut into our hearts today. <laughs> and where necessary, if it hurts a little bit, don't run away from it. Run towards it. Run to God. Let us respond in obedience to the word. So, God's people. Who were God's people in the Old Testament? Before Jesus came, all right? Who were known as God's people? Who can tell me? Israel, yes. Israel, the Jews. In the Old Testament, until Jesus came, if you said God's people, if you went there to Egypt, to Middle East, to, 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 to anywhere, Europe, Rome, and so on, you said, who are God's people? They said, oh, yeah, those Jews. They've got this thing with this God, you know, and, and God does funny things with them, and sometimes God punishes them. It's a funny thing, eh? And if they obey God, it goes well with them. If they don't obey their God, it goes very bad with them. Everybody knew it. It started with God, he began a, a, a relationship with one man, Abram, and out of Abram, a whole nation was born. And God used that nation for, for, for thousands of years to, to show people and manifest his presence on earth. He gave them the laws and he wanted to guide them and rule them. And they became a sign and a wonder to the nations around them. And he promised that out of this nation would come one man, a savior, a messiah. To save not just them, but the whole world. And then out of this nation came one man, Jesus. And so he came. So now that Jesus has come, who is known as God's people today? All of us. And what do we call ourselves? Christians or? The church. Isn't it? The church of Jesus Christ. Believers, Christians, generally known as the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Guys, read history. From the first century, the church has been persecuted. Christians have been mauled, destroyed. But the church has prevailed. 
No matter how much authorities and, and nations and leaders want to destroy God's people, it just doesn't happen. They keep on popping up, popping up, popping up. And it's going to continue until Jesus comes because the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. So we need to understand this. Church. Now, let's, let's look at the word church quickly, okay? Look at the word church. It is the Greek word ecclesia. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so every time you see the word church in your Bible, that's the word, the Greek word, which is used over there. All right? So in the New Testament, the word church is never used to refer to a building as we do today. Today, when you drive down the street, we say, oh, there's a church, and, and there's a church, and there's a church. How do you know it's a church? Somehow, those buildings have something. There's a cross, or there's an emblem. There's something. Oh, that's a church. And so to us today, when I say church, you say, now, which one? You know, and we, we point to a building. But in the Bible, the word church was never used to refer to a building. Never. In the New Testament, the word church always refers to a gathering of people, a specific group of people, which are the followers of Jesus Christ. The Greek for, for church, ecclesia, actually means the called out ones, called out to a meeting or gathering. So in the olden days, in, in the villages and towns, when they wanted to have a town meeting, they'd, they'd call the people out, and the people would get together to deal with something. And that gathering of people was called ecclesia. And ecclesia is the same word which is used in the New Testament, because it is a calling out of people to come together in the name of Jesus Christ, to discuss things about the kingdom of God, to learn, to be taught, and to act together as the followers of Jesus Christ. The word ecclesia is used for the global or the universal body of believers, the church of Jesus Christ. It is also used for local churches, smaller groups of believers who gather regularly to worship, to study the word, to encourage one another, to fellowship, and to discuss matters of the kingdom of God. And so from the beginning... The uh, Christian church in Acts chapter 2, they gathered as groups of believers to grow in the knowledge of the word and to pray and to worship together. Now, these gatherings, and you can read it already in the book of Acts in that first century, these gatherings became an irritation both to the pagan authorities and to the Jewish religious leaders. Those guys couldn't stand these Christians, these believers gathering together as the church. And the result was that soon believers were being persecuted for their faith. Throughout history, persecution and suffering has been much evident in the lives of those who follow Jesus Christ. From stolen property to being beaten, thrown in jail, and being rejected by society, the list goes on and on. And it continues today still as evidenced recently by the killing of Christians in Sri Lanka. It's true that people of other faiths were also victimized, but it is clear that the main targeting those bombings were Christian believers, followers of Christ. 
And today, more people are dying for their Christian faith than in the first century and many centuries put together. The persecution against believers still continues today. But there is some else, something else that threatens the faith. Not just persecution, but comfort and ease of life. It's like two extremes. Some people are persecuted by, well, are threatened by persecution. It threatens their Christian life. Others is by ease of life. Many compromise their faith when they are surrounded by comfort, wealth, and ease of life. Our text today comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is through his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What he's saying here is what we've celebrated today. Jesus Christ opened up a way for us. Remember in the old temple, there was that veil and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and, 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 and fellowship with God. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn by the tearing of the body of Jesus, by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. That which separated us from God was removed. The veil was torn. And now we have a clear conscience before God. Not because we are goody goodies, but because Jesus saved us, forgave us. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. We've got access to God. And then so he continues in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So today... There are believers who question if they should come to church every Sunday. Christians are asking this question. Why should we gather every Sunday? Why come together? Why do church? Why can't we do something fun as a family? You spend time together, you know, and, and, and why must we go to church all the time? Folks, it requires one heart for God. It requires discipline. It requires obedience. And it requires courage to have one heart for God's people, to have one heart towards the church, the regular gathering of those who follow Christ. The book of Hebrews was written to believers who were under persecution. And because of that, some of them were avoiding gathering together with other believers for fear of being found out. Some due to the pressures of persecution, were in danger of drifting away from the faith. Then there were some who were immature believers and they needed some teaching and encouragement. And so this book addresses all these things. Today, we're going to consider three words in this passage. The word confession, the word consider, the word forsaking, or in some translations, neglecting. First of all, let's look at confession. 
Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The Greek word for confession means to speak the same thing, to be in one accord. To make confession means to make an open declaration, giving clarity of a change of position. As believers, we want to say what God says, to say the same thing that God says. And if God says this and I'm doing that, then confession means I change my opinion from that to what God says. And I confess that. I declare that. I declare my faith. Amen. And so that is what confession means. And we want together, we want to say what God says as individuals and as a group of people gathered together. The world... You know, because the, the fact is, is this confession thing is actually uh, every day, every day we are at war trying to keep our confession. It's one of the greatest battles in the Christian life. Why? Because the world is out there enticing us to speak negatively, to speak words of hopelessness, to, to speak fear. Uh, look at the run-up to, to these elections. Did you read and hear how much fear was being spoken? How much negativity. And if you're not careful, you get caught up in that. You say, oh, the situation is hopeless. Oh, there is no hope. Oh, I'm so afraid. Oh. And you start, our confession becomes the confession of the world and not the confession of the word of God. And so it's a battle, a constant battle as believers to keep our confession in line with the word of God and the will of God. And so it's important for us to gather together and together confess together. Realign our thinking. And so when we come together, the songs we sing, look at the songs we sang today. Every single one of them, confessions based on the word of God. Reminding us who we are, who God is, where we are going. The word of God is preached. It's the word of God reminding us of what God says. We pray together and as we fellowship, we encourage one another. And so our confession is very, very important. Our confession reflects the heart of God to the world around us. Confession in the Bible falls mainly in two categories. Confession of our sins and confessions of our faith. In both cases, we come into agreement with the word of God. When you confess our sins, I acknowledge that God said this, but I did that. And so I say, Lord, forgive me. And I confess my sin and I align my life with him. Confession of faith, when I come together, I believe in the word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again on the third day. I believe he's alive. I believe he's my Savior and my Lord. I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe in, in, the, in, the, in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These are confessions of faith. And we need to confess these things. It is interesting to note that throughout church history, and even more so now, the nations who are against our confession of faith, they don't care about private confession. The scattered church is not a threat. It's not a problem to them. It's the gathered church, the ecclesia, that is a threat. It is the coming and uniting of the believers when they come together for a mission. That is what poses a threat to the nations that are opposed to Christianity. And right now, there are people, brothers and sisters of ours, that are being persecuted for their faith. Now, if they just keep quiet, they don't tell anybody, 
And they go home and they quietly read their Bibles, quietly do their prayers. Nobody minds. But the minute two, three, four of them get together in a home to do Bible study, to pray together, to worship God. Oh, it's a big problem. Then the police is knocking on the door. Who's in charge? Uh, taking to prison. It's a major thing. They feel threatened. And I wonder why. Huh? Because the gospel has power. And they know that. The word of God can change the course of nations. And they don't want that. People changed. The hearts changed. There's nothing that they can do with people like that. And so until today, it is not the scattered church, but the gathered church. When you come together here, guys, we are making a statement. People around you are driving past and they're hearing the noise here. They're seeing the, they know there's something happening over there. And they know what it is. And some will be drawn to it. Some will be irritated by it. And thank God for the moment we're living in a land which is open to the gospel. Not every country is like this. And there is no guarantee that it will always be like this. There's already persecution in terms of allowing the word of God to be preached in schools in this nation. And many schools don't do this. They come together, have a moment of silence, and you pray to achieve a God you believe in. They feel threatened if somebody stands up in the, in the stage and talks to the kids about the word of God. Thank God there are still some schools, and a couple of them in the mood. I have the pr privilege to speak in some of them, that the principal, the governing bodies have said, no, we're going to continue with a Christian emphasis in this school. And as long as we can, until the government tells us to stop, we are going to continue allowing preachers to come here and to speak to these kids. And for some of those kids in those schools, these, these preachers like myself and others who come there in assembly is the only connection they've got with the Bible and with the Word of God. That is the only assembly, the only church they know. Is when those Christians get together in that school hall, sing a hymn to God, and somebody like me comes there and, and preaches to them and, and encourages them and teaches them for 10 or 15 minutes. The gathering is the problem. Because when you gather together, you're making statements. Lives are being touched. Lives are being changed. We're having an influence in our area. We're having an influence in our city. And the devil hates that. And you'll do what he can to manipulate people to stop that. All right? Amen? Maybe beginning to see why some people put such low priority in coming to church. It is a pull of worldly forces and a trick of Satan to unplug us from worship and from our confession of faith, which can have an influence in society around us. And there were believers in, there were believers in the early church. We had left the gathering. And ended up losing their influence in society. Now, nowhere in the Bible is there ever a consideration of the individual as being the totality of Christianity. The original biblical confession has always been and has originated as a community. Consists of individuals coming together. The sacrificing of me for us. Unity has always been the result of humility. And that is what you are called. To be a great confessing Christian, you have to do it with others. 
There is no effect of Christianity throughout the Bible or throughout church history that has not been a result of the gathered church, local churches over the place. Now, let's look at the word consider. Let's do the word consider in verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The word consider means to think thoroughly through things, to understand fully, to perceive clearly. It means to come together and discuss. In other words, let us get together and, 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 and reason things and find out more about Christ. Let us think through how can we be more like Jesus? How can we change society? Consider one another to stir up love and good works. Let's get to know one another. Let's get to know the word of God. Let's help one another to love more and to do the works for which Christ has prepared us to do. The Bible says that God has prepared works for us before the foundation of the world. There is something that you and I have been designed to do in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. But unless we get together and we discover these things and talk about these things, we are just going to vegetate here in this world as another citizen of the world and you're not going to fulfill our divine purpose. We need the brothers and the sisters around us to help us get to that. And sometimes it's a frustrating process to figure out what am I supposed to do, where do I fit in, but we need that struggle, that push and pull, that, that, that discussion and talking and try this and, until we find our sweet spot. If we pull away from the church, isolate ourselves, we never discover that. And we go to our graves and we carry inside of us all the goodness that God has put inside of us. And remember, Dr. Miles Moreau used to say that graveyards across the world are the richest pieces of real estate in the world because in there are buried unwritten books, unwritten stories, unwritten projects, undone projects, dreams that were never realized. They've gone to the grave because people never really found their place in the body, never got to do what they were designed to do. And it's a sad, sad state. So let's, let's understand this and let's consider. The last word is the word forsaking in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of the return of Jesus Christ. Look, guys, there is going to be a final day in this world of this present system, of this way of doing things in this world, financial system, government systems, all this that's going on. One day is going to be the last day. And the Bible calls it the day. It's the day in which Jesus Christ returns to rule this world, to implant his kingdom literally on this world. And then we're going to enjoy peace and justice and living together peacefully. He will reign. The nations will worship him. And they will acknowledge, recognize, and confess that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. But until that day, he says, we must be careful of forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is a solemn warning. Do not neglect your gathering as is the habit of some back in those days and as it is the habit of some still in our days. Those descendants are living on still today. And this has been a challenge from, from the beginning of the church. Why is it? Possible causes. Number one is persecution. As I've said, this is still happening today. 
and, and, and its effect, even more so than the first century. And persecution sometimes keeps people away from gathering together. The other one is comfort. When you are in your comfort zone and you have the money, things are going well at home and at work, you've got no health issues, things are well with your family, it is so easy to want to sit back and just enjoy everything that you've got rather than coming to church. Why must I go and get out of my comfort zone and go and meet up with those people, you know? The other cause is just no interest or doubts about necessity of this duty. And this is an increasing problem today. You know, you, you can sit and you can hear great preachers talking about just any topic you need about, and you can hear it from the comfort of wherever you are. You can sit on the beach and, and open up your social media and hear great preachers and just enjoy yourself. Why must you get all dressed and, and come to church and, 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 and sit with people you might not necessarily like and have to put up with people, greet people. I'd rather be on my own, yeah. Having my coffee in the coffee shop, put my earphones on and watch a good sermon. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And more and more people are doing this. But that is not what Ecclesia is all about. Ecclesia is real people getting together in a real place, putting up with one, each other, one another's messes, realizing that life is messy sometimes, and by the grace of God, working through all that messiness to become what you're supposed to become. Hallelujah. And then the final cause is dissatisfaction or offense with a preacher, with members of a church, or with some regulation in the church. And so we get offended and we move away and we say, ah, church is a bunch of hypocrites. You know, ah, I'm not going there anymore. And you stay away from church. I'm not talking about the fact that people sometimes change churches. You know, when you leave this church and, and you go to that church, you know, you, you know, at least you continue serving God. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that get offended, move away, and then they judge the whole church. Because of their one experience. So I've had a bad day with my preacher. I've had a bad day with my brother and sister in my church. So now the whole church is, I'm not going to church anymore. It's going to be me and Jesus, hallelujah. Until he comes. Yeah, right. I don't want to be in your shoes when he comes. I don't want to hear what you're going to hear when he comes. Hello. Amen. So... The fact is, we are called to be a body of believers, not loners. In local churches, the gathering of believers, uh, there are problems. Why? Because the church is made up of forgiven people, but still imperfect people. Ask me. I know. I know myself, man. <laughs> and I've been around for a while, and I'm still imperfect. So what should our response be? Well, I put to you three ways in which you can respond. I sound like a lawyer now. I put to you three ways. In which you can respond, all right? Number one, ask God to plant a deep love for, your, for the local church in your heart. As part of the global church of God, amen? Ask God to plant a deep love for the local church as part of the global church of God in your heart. Say, God, oh, sometimes these guys can irritate me. <laughs> I don't know how you put up with your people, God, but help me. Help me, Lord, to love your church as you love your church. Jesus, you gave your life for the church. Help me to see the church as you see the church. I, 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 I need that. Because sometimes I see Christians, I see preachers, I see my fellow brothers and sisters doing such dumb things. I turn around and clap them. 
in the name of Jesus. I want to give a new interpretation to that verse which says you must lay hands on people. I'm going to go, pow, pow, pow. lay hands on them in the name of Jesus. With love, you know, love. <laughs> How does God love people like that? How does God love the church? I don't know. I want to know that. God help me to love my brothers and my sisters, to love the other churches, the different denominations, the weird ones, the funny ones, the quiet ones, the noisy ones. Help me to love your body like you love your body, Lord Jesus. Give me your love. Help me to see them the way you see them, Jesus. Huh? And let's not forget that Jesus Christ calls his church his bride. His bride. So don't come to Jesus and criticize the church. And criticize the bride. My wife is my bride. Come to me and criticize her and see what happens to you. <laughs> Hurdance of a pastor. Somebody came to him and says, Pastor, I want to have fellowship with you, but not with your wife. Oh, that man got a talking, believe me. No. Any husband knows. I, my wife and I, we are one. If you're going to take me, you're going to take my wife with me. Or just leave me alone. You want Jesus? You've got to take Jesus and the bride. It's a package deal, brother. It's a package deal. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Number two, no response. Forgive previous experiences that have impacted your biblical understanding and influenced your confession of the faith in the way you live and lead today. How many people were preachers of fire for God and then they got into trouble? And today they're loners and they're they preaching all sorts of weird stuff and preaching against the church and against the local church and it's a sin to get together and it's not biblical and a bunch of rubbish. Come on, let's try to forgive that. Let's go back to experience. Yes, it was hurtful. Yes, it hurt. But forgive them and come back. Number three, ask God to use you to be a healthy, functioning, and active body part, encouraging health and growth of his kingdom in the way you value, love, and participate in being the body, part of the body of believers. The Bible says in Ephesians that the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causing growth to the body of Christ. You see, every part does something. No matter how big or small it is, your part, your share matters. So let's become that. Let's fit in. Let's do what we can. If it's a little bit, do a little bit, but do it with joy, man. And do it with love for the body of Christ. And so by so doing, folks, let us become and let us have one heart for God's people, for the church. Not just my church, but the church. Amen? Amen. So, take time to consider now. How is your heart towards God's people? How is your heart towards the church? Towards your church? Towards this church? Towards, if you're visiting, wherever you go to church, towards churches you've been in the past? Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there something you need to confess? Speak out to God? 
You need to say what the Lord says and not your flesh demands. It is so easy to say what my flesh demands. But maybe you need to change your confession and say what God says. Are you an active part of the body or just a casual observer? Which decisions do you need to make today so you can have one heart for God's people? So can I invite you as we close now to join me in prayer now, asking God to help each one of us to be an active member of his body, contributing to his growth. Amen. Can we do that? If you're in agreement with me, stand up, please, as we pray together. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father God, you know each and every heart present in this hall. You know each and every person listening to this recording right now. You know our past, our mistakes, our hurts, our actions and reactions. And we come to you, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to forgive us where we have missed it. Forgive us where we have reacted in the flesh instead of acting upon the word. We want our confession to line up to your word and to your will. I thank you for speaking to people today, Lord God. And if you're standing here or listening to this message on recording and God has touched your life in some way, he's put his finger, maybe like he pointed that finger to me that day when I had to make a decision in my life. Maybe he's pointing a finger at you right now in some area of your life linked up with the church that you need to surrender to him. Maybe there's a decision you've got to make. Maybe there is something you've got to confess to God. Let go of. Maybe someone or some group of people that you've got to forgive. Maybe you've been carrying hurts and grudges for maybe years. Why don't you this morning just let it go and say, Holy Spirit of God, help me to release this. Lord Jesus, forgive me for carrying this load and this anger or this bitterness or this pain. Let go today. Align your confession with Jesus, with the word of God. And so, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you put in our hearts a deeper understanding of your love for your church. And put in our hearts, Lord God, the same love for the church. A desire to be part of it, to contribute to it in whichever way we can. To become active members, not just casual observers. And to be part of that group of people that does make a difference in this nation and in this world. Because we gather together to manifest the heart of God. To confess the will of God. To worship God. Oh, in Jesus' name, Lord. I thank you for touching our lives, bringing changes, whatever change is needed, to fine-tune us, God. Align our lives with you. I pray this for your glory, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of those who agreed said, amen, amen and amen. Have a great day. See you next week. Bye-bye.